So it's January 5th, right? 2020, Happy New Year. For the first time in a number of years, I made it to midnight. I don't know how many of you did. I was preloaded, though. I was in my pajamas already. Ball dropped. We had taken the kids down a couple, you know, that, the Saturday before. So we got to see the place. I was in my pajamas, like 12.03, I was in bed. Right, and there's something to this sort of new year thing, right? We start, you know, people make resolutions. I don't know if, how many of you guys have made a resolution. I won't ask because my guess is probably a pretty similar number of you have already broken, you know, that resolution that you made, right? That's kind of a thing. But the reality is this time of year sort of stirs up in us this idea of, of something new, right? Of going into something new. And for, for any of you who have, have been at New Life, even, even in the last couple of weeks, but certainly over the last year, if you, had to, if you had to use one word to summarize what God has been doing at New Life in 2019, what would it be? What word? If you had one word, refine, astounding, change, pruning. Yeah, I'm with Chaz on this one. And all of those sort of fit, right? Refining is, you know, part of pruning, and it's an extraordinary work. Nathan talked a lot about this last week, the idea of taking something that is already bearing fruit right, and cutting it off in order that, that that plant, that vine, might bring forth even more fruit. But 2019 here at New Life was absolutely a season of God pruning, right, of taking a fruitful vine and cutting it back in ways that we would not prefer in order to bring forth more fruit. And I think we can say that pretty safely as a body, as a whole. And I think there's a lot of you individually, as men, as women, as teens, in your own families, that there's been some pruning over the last year. Probably not in ways that you would have preferred. And so I've been holding on to this for the last couple of months, just sort of, I like to call it marinating on this. So for me, this is not a New Year's, this is not a January 1st, 2020 sort of message. The, the, the coincidence of it lines up well, which is great. But I honestly believe that we're in this place of some new things at New Life Fellowship Church. Right? And some of, I mean, that's, in some ways that's obvious, right? You, you're not a, you know, you have to be gifted in you know, prophecy to, to be able to make that assertion, right? These are the two thoughts that I keep just rolling around in my head, just marinating on over the last couple of months, to be honest with you. This goes back into the fall. And so the first one is Isaiah 43. And God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. One of the ways God is so faithful, right? So I'm, I'm marinating on this last week, or over the last couple of months. Last week, Mike and I had this conversation around this verse. And I said, I knew it was, it was just one of those little confirmations from the Lord to say, yeah, you're on to something here. Forget the former things. And, and I've stood up here and I've shared messages with all of you about remembering things that God's done, right? And so this seems a little bit weird, right? To say, no, 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 forget things. So I've, I've, I've now stood up here on different occasions and said, well, remember some things, but forget other things. 
but you've also heard me say, right, we are a people that are prone to remembering the things that we should forget and forgetting the things that we should remember. Is that not true? We hold on to things we should not hold on to, and we forget things that it is vitally important to us that we remember. And the second one, this is out of Zechariah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this temple. His hand will also complete it. You will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel or the capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. And this is a story of after the, the captivity, Israel, God moves them to Babylon, right? They're in captivity in Babylon. And after their captivity, they're coming back. And Zerubbabel is one of the leaders that's charged with rebuilding things, literally from the ground up. And so as they start this work, this is something that God asks. Who dares despise the day of small things, of small beginnings? And so I want to share with all of you today, I believe, and Nathan alluded to this last week, this is not a new conversation. Right? We've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks. And so as much as 2019 for New Life was a year of pruning back, that we might bear even more fruit, I want to put a flag in the ground today and say that God is getting on to new things here at New Life. And you can believe that that's my opinion, but I will tell you by faith, I'm going to share with you today, I believe this with my whole heart. I believe that we have been in a place that has not been comfortable or our preferred way of, of having church or doing church or of God interacting with us, of seeing dear friends that God's moved on. But by faith today, I believe honestly that this is a message, that this is a, a prophetic word for us as a body that God is doing, he has already started doing a new thing. And that the call to us is to forget some former things, to move on from the idea of pruning and to begin to move on into what comes after that, which is when you cut something back, green shoots start coming and new life starts coming forth. And I believe that we're in that season now. And I believe that there's a call for us in order to, to actually lay hold of that, that there's some things that we have to do individually, as men, as women, as teens, as children, but as a whole body, that there's some work that we have to do. And I want to look at this in two different stories. One is, one is an individual and one in a corporate setting to try to tease out some principles of what that looks like for us that we wouldn't be a people who would despise small beginnings. Right? When you cut back, you get rid of everything. The flower, the fruit, you know, Nathan talked about this last week. You pinch off the, the beautiful part of the flower, the beautiful part of the plant. And that process starts all over again. And I honestly believe that New Life Fellowship right now in 2020 is at the intersection of these two ideas that God is getting ready to do a new thing, that the days of pruning have wound down, and that we had better not despise the day of small things. At the core of this conversation today, probably not as much conversation because I'm mostly going to talk, 
But at the core of what I'm calling you all today, honestly, is that we begin 2020 walking together by faith in a new way. I have no idea what that's going to look like. I, have, uh, I mean, there's parts and pieces of it that I can see. I don't have the full picture. We'll figure all of this out at this time next year. But what I'm calling you today is stepping forth in faith in a new way individually, within your family, within this church body. That this is the place that we're at. God's doing something new. This is probably a a familiar story for some of you. Right, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And not the first part of it, right? The super violent part where he goes sort of toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal and God shows up in a really powerful way. I'm talking about what comes right after that. That's where this story picks up in 1 Samuel, or 1 Kings, excuse me. But this is the, the individual application of what I'm talking about. So I want to read this and then, and then see if we can pull out of this. So this is in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came down and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is a picture of God doing something new. Amen? There had just been this season, right, this intense time of God demonstrating something to the people of Israel and to the nations around them. And now God is getting ready to do something new. And so this is what I, this is what I see when I look at this passage, that God had a plan, he had a promise that he had already shared with Elijah. Right? That plan, that promise started with God and that Elijah goes through this process, right, of he's got to perceive what God's doing. He's got to position himself, right? He's got to pray, and he's got to persist in that work. And what I want to do is dive back into this passage, and I want to pull these out so that you can see them clearly from this passage, right? Because this, I believe, in all honesty, is the work that we at New Life have to do as we go forward in 2020, right? In verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink. There's a sound of heavy rain, Now, what you need to know is that at this point, when they are having this conversation, it had not rained at Carmel for three and a half years. That at a word that Elijah had given three and a half years before this, God shut up the heavens. In Israel, there's former rains in the spring and there's latter rains in the fall, and neither of those had fallen, it had been three and a half years since there was rain. 
But what Elijah is saying to Ahab is, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And if you go back, there's no evidence, right, at this point in the story that there's even a cloud in the sky. And Elijah's word to Ahab is, you need to go make some preparations because there is a heavy rain coming. What I believe Elijah heard is actually back at the beginning of chapter 18. And this is what it says. If, you, if you've got your Bible open, flip back there. It's in 18.1. It says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah did exactly what he heard God say. He went and he presented himself to Ahab. And that was the first part of it, right? The battle on Carmel where they're making altars and fires coming down and consuming things. And that's the first part of that. Go present yourself to Ahab. But the second part of this, I believe what Elijah is communicating to Ahab is not that he heard in the natural that rain was coming, but that God had spoken something to him And for him, that was the sound of rain because God had said it. And so he believed it was coming. He didn't see anything. There was literally zero evidence. But God had spoken it, and Elijah's starting to say, listen, guys, you better go make yourself ready. There is serious weather coming ahead. If you take this passage and you think about what it says in Hebrews 11, right? Faith is the substance or the substantiating of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what this is a picture of, right? Elijah, by faith, is declaring something to Ahab. And listen, I'm not in any way, shape, or form telling you today that I'm trying to be like Elijah, but I am trying to tell you that there is something coming that maybe right now there's not a ton of evidence for. But God had spoken it, and for Elijah, it was as good as done. God's plan, God's promise was, I will bring rain. And and Elijah perceived that, and by faith started running with that. And so he gives directions to Ahab. He says, you go eat and drink, but Elijah does something different. I thought this was kind of interesting since the the body were in this time of fasting together. Ahab's going to go eat and drink. Elijah's going to go position himself in a different place. He climbs to the top of Carmel. Throughout scripture, when you read, people who went up mountains tended to be doing that for what purpose? It's a picture of drawing near to the Lord. Who else went up the mountain? Moses went up. What? To do what? To draw near to the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to get revelation, to be able to come back and lead the nation of Israel. And so Elijah positions himself on the top of Carmel. We've got to begin to do this, to position ourselves, to draw near, to go up the mountain, individually as a body. I'll tell you guys, it is not going to be enough for us week after week to send just Nathan up the mountain to bring something back down. That's not going to be enough. You've got to go up too. You've got to draw near. You've got to position yourself. Right, and so when when he gets there, Again, in verse 42, it says he bends down to the ground and puts his face between his knees. There's sort of two different pictures here. One is he's just down on his knees, just in a place of submission, in a place of presenting himself before the Lord. 
There's some commentaries that believe that this is more of a picture, almost like a, a picture of travailing in childbirth. Again, but both of them, which, whichever one you want to subscribe to, both of them are a picture of, of prayer, of submitting yourself. And so Elijah is in this place, right? He's perceived that God is about to do something. He's positioning himself. And his first act, I think Nathan's going to start talking about this next week or the week after, right? That our primary work as a body, right, as believers, is exactly this, is prayer. Right? The primary work of God's people is to be in prayer. And if we're going to lay hold of what God is, has for us in this upcoming season, We've got to do this. We've got to position ourselves and we've got to do that work. I really love this next part. So he's up there. He's got his guy with him, his servant, and he says, go and look towards the sea. So his servant goes up and he says, what am I supposed to be seeing here? There's, n- there's nothing. I'm literally standing on the top of a mountain. Right? I'm looking towards the sea. Nothing there. Six times, six more times, he goes back up. Elijah keeps sending him up and keeps sending him up and keeps sending him up. And you know what happens on the seventh time? A cloud is small as a man's hand. Now there's some of you that from where you're sitting, you can barely make out the size of my hand. You take your glasses off, and I know there's a bunch of you that can't make out my hand from where you're sitting. That's the day of small beginnings, guys. It hadn't rained in three and a half years, and Elijah is banking on a cloud the size of my hand to be the fulfillment of what God is about to do, of his plan and his promise. If I stood in the parking lot, you couldn't see it. It was that small. Elijah says, I will not despise the day of small beginnings. There is work that God is doing in your life right now that is in that stage of small beginnings. And if you despise it, or if I despise it in you, we're going to miss something. Nathan, again, talked about this last week, right? This is part of walking in, in, in faith, expressing itself in love. I believe that God is doing something in your life, and so by faith, I want to honor that and nurture that. And if I'm biting and devouring, right, I'm going to have a pretty good chance of killing that small beginning that God is doing in you before it really even takes root. But if you know that God is doing something in you, something new, don't despise the fact that it's small. Listen, we have a whole wing over here outside of that door of small beginnings. We don't despise a single one of them, right? For those of you who don't know, that's where the kid's wing is, right? They're all over there now with their teachers. We have a whole four, five, six classrooms over there of small beginnings. We don't despise that because they're little, because they don't fully get it yet. Right? We sow into that. We tend to that. Right? We speak truth to that. We love that. We tend those things. You've got to do that in the things that God is doing in your life right now, the new things that God is doing. As a man, as a woman, as a father, as a wife, as a teen, those small things that God is starting in you, those things that you don't have a full picture of what this is going to be yet, you cannot despise those things. Right? Because those things that start out as small as a man's hand 
are going to become something. And we've got to do that in each other as well, right? To identify, Nathan, I see, the, I see God doing this thing in you, right? Mike, I see God doing this thing in you, right? I see God doing this thing in you. And we've got to give each other enough grace to let God work in those moments and not despise those things because you're not further along, because I'm not further along. We've got to tend to each other and not despise the day of small beginnings. The truth of the matter is, sometimes this takes a little while. This morning, for breakfast, I had oatmeal. I made it in the microwave because it only takes two and a half minutes. I did not make it on the stove top because that takes like three days. <laughs> we like things fast. I like them in you. Fast. Faster probably. If it's your spouse, it's like you can't go fast enough. Seven times he had to go back up the mountain. Do you know how exhausting that is? Right? To persist intending to that work, that small beginning, that thing that's only the size of a man's hand in your life, do you know how exhausting that is? Yes, you do because you're going through it right now. Some of you are five days into a fast. Some of you have already dropped the ball. The thing that you said that you were going to fast from, you've already in some way, shape, or form had a thing where you said you weren't going to eat, but then you ate something. You said you weren't going to watch TV, but then you watched a show, right? You said you weren't going to get on social media, but then you just had to get on Facebook. So what? Persist. We set aside three weeks. It's the fifth day. You're thinking, oh man, I don't have any, I don't have this giant revelation from the Lord yet. Right, I've been at this for five days. Nothing. So what? Persist. Keep going. Go back up the mountain again. And tomorrow, if it doesn't come, go back up the mountain again. And the day after that, if it doesn't come, go back up the mountain again. And continue to position yourself and persist in that work until you see it. For some of us, it's going to come very quickly. And for others, it's going to be outside of this three-week fast. I'll tell you that right now. You have to persist. We have to persist. I brought up the piece earlier about my preference for worship because sometimes our preferences cause us not to persist. I prefer not to have to go up multiple times. I'm a huge believer in efficiency. Like, I will line up things in my house to be able to drop laundry off, take recycling out. I will carry 18,000 things all at once so I only have to make one trip. It doesn't always look like that with the Lord. Sometimes you have to persist. You have to keep going back. But this is what happens. Seven times he goes up, cloud the size of a man's hand. And he finally comes down, he gets that report There is not a lot of promise in a cloud that size, but this is the message that Elijah sends him with. Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And the message here is that valley that has been so dry and dusty that you could drive a chariot over going 100 miles an hour, if you don't go right now, you are going to get stuck in the mud. That is what is coming. And so today I want to tell you, Hitch up your chariot. 
and get yourself ready or you're going to get stuck in the mud. That almost sounds foolish to say, but I'm telling you, go hook up your chariot. When you, before you leave here today, you do business with God and you hook up your chariot. I don't even know what that looks like for you, but I'm telling you that's what you've got to start doing. And what happens as a result of this, right? Ahab listens, he's on his chariot, he's flying off. Verse 46, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Elijah, God so meets with Elijah in response to this that Elijah outruns the chariot that Ahab is running in and he beats him to Jezreel. I don't know how far that is, but here's what I know. There is no human way possible I'm not a fast runner. Maybe there's some of you who are much faster than I am, right? But taking on a chariot, that is not natural, right? That's God showing up. And Elijah beats him there. His life is profoundly impacted by the power of God, above and beyond anything that he could have done on his own. We've got to hear it. We've got to position ourselves. We've got to continue to draw near, and we have to persist until we lay hold of what God is doing in our lives and in our church body. Corporate story. I mentioned this earlier. Israel goes off to Babylon. They come back. Time to rebuild. When they came back, I want to make an equivalency here. When they came back from Babylon, they were a pruned people. There were less of them. God had cut off a whole bunch of things in them, right? Idolatry, and he had pruned them back far beyond what they had been comfortable with. And so on the other side of that, God begins to do a new work, and so he charges folks to go back. He charges the nation to go back. In Ezra 1, in verse 5, it says, the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved— The picture here is those who perceived what God was doing, not all of them that were in Babylon went back. Not all of them went back. But there were some who perceived what God was doing and they packed things up and they moved on. They transitioned from one season to another. And if you look at the end of chapter 2, it says literally there's less than 50,000 of them that end up going back. By every measure, they are a pruned back people. But these same principles apply here to an entire congregation, to an entire nation, right? The the first thing is they perceive God calling them to go back, to rebuild. In Isaiah, the passage, so I read from 43 earlier. If you read in Isaiah 44 and in Isaiah 45, 150 years before any of this happens, God lays out what his plan, what his promise is. I'm going, to br- I'm going to take you to Babylon, and I'm going to bring you back. And when you come back, you're going to rebuild the temple. Right? God had spoken. His plan in that case had been literally generations before that. He had even named, I think Pastor Soper brought this up, he had even named Cyrus as the one who would send them back 150 years before that guy was even on the scene. If you don't believe that God has a plan and a promise for your life individually and for this church body, let's talk after service. Seriously. God has a plan. He has a promise. Our work is to perceive it together. To walk in that. 
This is Ezra chapter 3. When the seventh month, seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what was written with the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifice, and the sacrifices for all of the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Do you see what's happening here? These are folks who, who understood that God's, God's plan was to have the temple, his dwelling place on earth, rebuilt. And they went back and started that work. But rather than waiting until the entire project was done, right? you've got to remember all of Jerusalem was pretty much destroyed. And so these guys started with the smallest possible project that they could begin, which was the altar. And what you read in scripture is there's essentially three rebuildings that take place here. There's the altar, the temple, and the walls. And they said, you know what? We're not going to despise the day of small beginnings. This is going, it literally took generations. They started with the altar and they rebuilt it. And before the temple was even finished, really before it was even started, they started making sacrifices to the Lord. They started worshiping again in Jerusalem. They did the same thing that Elijah did. Right in verse 1, they positioned themselves as one man. My translation is better than this one. Do you know what it looks like for a body, a nation of 50,000 people to position themselves as one man? What is that a picture of? It's a picture of some Unity right there. You get 50,000 people to agree on anything. If you get five people to agree on anything, this is an entire nation, an entire congregation positioning themselves as one man saying, Lord, here we are. What do you have for us? That's the work for us as new life. That's part of what we have ahead of us in 2020. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm not even really sure how to do it. To be honest with you, I'm not sure that's our work. God brings unity. Our direction from the word is maintain the unity of the spirit. In Christ, there's already unity. Our call is to maintain it. Right? They position themselves. They get it a little out of order for a clean sermon message here, but they persist Look at what it says. Despite their fear of the peoples all around them, you've got to remember they're starting not with the walls, not with the thing that would bring them the most security. They are starting with the thing that mattered the most to the Lord. They are building an altar literally with no protection around them. And despite their fears, they persisted. But here's what happens. 
right? They begin to make offerings, right? They begin to pray, right? They begin to praise and worship, right? In the midst of that, the altar is still being built and they're going through this work. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. I didn't see this until this morning. On the Jewish calendar, do you know what the first day of the seventh month is? It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the first day of the new year, the Jewish new year. This marked for them the beginning of something new. This work that they were doing, right, that that day when they have the foundations of the altar laid and they're putting the sacrifices and they're worshiping the Lord and they're assembled together as one man after having persisted right, through their own fears and insecurities, they entered into a new season a new year by God's design. And admittedly, this didn't look like much at the time. I want to just read from you quickly. In in the midst of this rebuilding, there starts to be this, um, this preference, this feeling that sort of rises up where some of them say, man, this new temple is not as good as the old one. It literally says that there's some who had seen the old temple who are weeping because the new one is not going to be like the old one. It's the same pattern when God set Israel free out of Egypt. Right? They, get, they get out, and at least we had meat there. Right? This is not as good as that. Right? When God begins to do a new thing, we've, we're, guys, we've got to fight this tendency in us to say that this new thing is not as good as the old. If you flip over, you don't have to go there. I'm going to read this to you anyways. In the book of Haggai, this is a a contemporaneous passage of Scripture. God reaffirms his plan. He reaffirms his promise to them as a congregation. And this is what he says. On the 21st day of the seventh month, are you catching the timeline here? First day of the seventh month, 21st day of the seventh month. This is three weeks later. They're all fasting because they're on the same plan as us at New Life. 21 days later, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations And the desired of the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord's affirmation to them was, this new work, this new season, this new thing that I'm calling you to, 
it will be better than the first one. They had only just started. They had only just started. So I'm going to ask uh, the worship team if, if you guys will come on up. And The truth of the matter is, today right here as, as we're standing together, some of you have former things that you need to forget. And you need to move on into the new things that God's doing in you and for you and through you. And I'm not kidding when I said this earlier. If you're not sure, right, if you don't know, you don't believe that God has a plan for you, that he has a promise for you, starting first and foremost with salvation through Christ, if you don't know that, then before you leave here today, let's have a conversation, right? Come and see me. Come and see Nathan. Let's have a conversation. Some of you have got things that, in, in different spheres of your life, in, in your work life, in your marriage, in your family, in your health, in your finances, right? Where I want to just declare to you today that God is getting ready to do a new work. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But by faith, I'm asking you to begin to lay hold of that. Even if just to say, you know what, Lord, I'm open to that. I'm open to this looking different. You know? Maybe it's for us as a body. Right? Lord, things are gonna, some things are going to look different, right? right? There's some rebuilding going on here. Right? Nathan talked about this last week, right? New elders, that rebuilding is underway. Right? New worship team leaders, that building is underway. New leadership for our missions team. That rebuilding is underway. Finances, that rebuilding is underway. Small groups, that rebuilding is underway. Some of those things are the size of a man's hand right now. And what I want you to hear is that by faith, we've got to one, be okay with that, and two, begin to believe that God has got something more as we go forward together. Right? That we don't need the entire temple rebuilt in order to start doing some of this. That'll come. We've got to position ourselves, and we've got to pray, and we've got to persist. Some of you are fasting and you're already going through this work, right? You're already drawing near. You're already trying to position yourself. What I want to say to you today is you have to persist. You have to keep going, right? You're tired, right? It doesn't look like anything's coming. You have to persist. Because just like Jesus said to the disciples, do you guys want to go somewhere else? Where else are you going to go? Right? If the Lord's lingering in, in, in giving you an answer of bringing something into clarity, you have to persist because the truth is you have nowhere else to go but to continue to wait on the Lord and to trust right, that he's faithful, that he's good, that he has a plan and he has a promise for you. And so as we close here, 
I want you to hear clearly this call. I want you to not despise the day of small beginnings. And I want you to forget the things that have been so that you can lay hold of the things that God's getting ready to do. And so wherever you're at in that process, it's time to move forward. So as we worship, sing, but in your heart, here's what I want you guys to hear. It's time to hitch up your chariot. The days of pruning are winding down. It's a new year. It's a new day. It's a new thing. We need to perceive it. Amen.